The Hear Me Project is an initiative of Carnegie Mellon University's Create Lab. The website for the Create Lab is www.cmucreatelab.org. And the website for Hear Me is www.hear-me.net. Hello, and welcome to the Hear Me Podcast. On this episode, you're going to meet a group of high school students who are passionate about music. They represent 12 different high schools from around Greater Pittsburgh, and once a month they left school to travel to the Pittsburgh Symphony's Audience of the Future program, where they were in charge of producing a concert. They visited Heinz Hall to attend Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra rehearsals, and they chose the repertoire, promoted the concert, sold tickets, worked in concert production, and produced a video. In May, they hosted an evening at the symphony that showed their love of music and the year-long work that they put into the production. And proceeds from the concert benefit the arts and music programs of the participating schools. This group was split into three teams. One group chose the music, one focused on marketing, and one managed the production. Hear Me joined the marketing group to facilitate podcasting workshops to plan strategic messaging around music and what they want others to care about. Students discussed elements of a podcast like a compelling hook, interesting interviews, and a call to action. The students also learned the basics of audio recording and editing. After two sessions, they produced mini podcasts that were shared in the lobby during their culminating symphony performance. The students talked about building a compelling narrative and used their mini podcasts as a platform to talk about issues that they want others to care about. Before we play you their podcasts, I just wanted to say a brief aside. Lately at the Create Lab, we've been talking a lot about the role of adults in helping students to identify their passions or something that they care about. We think that this group of students is a really strong example of that happening. These students had the opportunity to pursue something that they care about and to tell a story about that. There were some really incredible moments that happened when we all worked for this goal. In one, during our working time, a young man offered to teach the basics of audio editing software to the entire group of students while I was helping troubleshoot another student's equipment in the corner. During another, students asked for access to research tools like laptops and iPads so that they could find evidence to support their arguments in the podcasts. Students pulled in people that they wanted as experts on their topics, like teachers or peers, and one group even managed to get the CFO for an interview. In our role as Hear Me, we gave them the tools and created an opportunity for them to dive into something that was really important to them. Okay, now for their podcasts. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to actually be able to speak to you about this topic. The strike that occurred on September 30th of last year, that was a very surprising event to have occurred. So the employees participating in the strike, um, those would have been the orchestra musicians. Um, they are represented by a union, the Musicians Union. And uh, so that union in representation of the musicians decided to go on strike. And the events leading to it is the 
uh, overall negotiation of a new contract. We have contract negotiations, or we had them every three years. I, the previous contract was a three-year contract, so that uh, ended uh, in 2016, and so we had to renegotiate. And um, so the negotiations um, were extremely challenging and led to the union deciding to go on strike, ultimately after months of negotiations. So what would you say would be the estimated prior salary of the orchestra members? Mm -hmm. And has that salary been in like fluctuation over the past several years? Yes, definitely. In um, the, the salary of orchestra musicians, uh, the base salary um, is always the result of the negotiations that happens, you know, every few years. So the salary prior to today and so also prior to the strike was around $107,000 base salary for each musician in the orchestra. And that was the agreed salary um, of the contract beforehand. Um, overall, salaries are fluctuating uh, depending on the financial needs and what is negotiated between the musicians' union and the orchestra management. Uh, the highest salary ever paid to musicians here, as I can recall, was $110,000. And so it is, you know, fluctuating a little bit from negotiation to negotiation. Now, would such a decline um, in salary be associated with the number of, of events performed by the orchestra or the revenue of said events? So the decline of a salary is usually the result of the financial um, challenges that the organization faces overall. You know, in our particular case, we have a a deficit. This organization has a financial deficit and also a very big, um, what we call a cash deficit. Our cash need is a lot. Um, we are dependent more than uh, ticket revenue. Actually, our uh, major financial um, uh, you know, income is from donors, you know, contributions from donors, like many, many public organizations. And uh, so it is um, sometimes a result of a revenue decrease, oftentimes also a result of uh, the decrease of donations, increasing of costs, production costs, and so on. So um, the salary level is determined you know, by the needs of the organizations to, to survive, obviously, to exist, and also to be able to pay the people the salaries that you know, they obviously deserve. Now, what was the original uh, cut proposed to their salaries and solution was eventually reached in terms of wage cut, percentage cut? Yeah. So the, the organization entered with a very high uh, cut in salaries as the financial needs are tremendous uh, these days for the PSO. It was 25% and the agreement that we reached was a 10.5% uh, salary reduction. So who exactly went about the process of negotiating this compromise? Mm -hmm. So usually the parties consist of the uh, management side. That means uh, it is the chief executive officer, the chief operating officer like myself. You know, I represent the organization, the PSO in the negotiation. And uh, on the other side, partnering on the other side are the musicians, is the musician union. 
Uh, and uh, this is comprising oftentimes or most of the time with musicians themselves that are members of the union and the committee of the orchestra. These are the parties. So has there been any public response by the Pittsburgh community in regards to the events of this strike? Has it impacted the reputation of the orchestra in any noticeable or ways? Yeah, that's a very good question, obviously, because when you have a what you can describe as a labor conflict, you know, um, there is uh, the public uh, oftentimes is informed uh, the status um, we have. Uh, uh, you know, the media is interested in it. They, they want interviews from the management side, from the union side, you know, and then there's press uh, that is interesting to read. And, uh, and so obviously then there is also a public reaction triggered. Many people feel very sympathetic with the musicians, rightfully so, because obviously who wants to have, uh, you know, their salary impacted and these insecurities. Uh, a lot of people get interested in how the business works overall. So. Um, it's also an opportunity to learn a lot about, you know, how symphonies work and the struggles they are in, that the, apart from the artistic uh, uh, calendar. And so, yes, there, there has been quite a bit of a public reaction to, you know, press and, uh, and activities for musicians outside, because during the strike you see musicians, you know, uh, walking a picket line and that draws, uh, draws attention, of course, yeah. So, um, it, it is... Good and bad at the same time because um, uh, I believe it brings attention to very important subjects, um, how we work and the struggles that we have as, organ as non-for-profit organizations. But also it uh, reminds us all how necessary it is to support us as organizations, you know, and, uh, and how we need to go forward. So I wouldn't necessarily say that the public attention to the labor conflict is a negative one. Uh, it just brought a lot of attention to the symphony as a whole. No. Right. Now, when the wage cut was initially proposed, were there any employees that uh, notably sought out new job opportunities in the field? Were there any, the most of them just end up staking where they were traditionally employed? What was their response whenever they initially uh, came across the wage cut? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question because obviously, um, when we say employees here, that's the musicians who would be affected by such a suggested wage cut. And um, uh, we do understand the feelings that people say, okay, this is, this is uh, something very challenging. We want to look around and perhaps, you know, go to other places where we, you know, feel more supported or have, um, you know, uh, better financial opportunities. Um, it is very difficult to um, change positions because as an orchestra musician you have to win an audition process and uh, it is very, very tough to, to get a job. And so um, I can imagine there is no concrete data, of course, that, uh, that uh, musicians then audition a little bit more than usual to orchestras that they also want to go to um, overall we didn't see an effect that actually a lot of, uh, you know, people have left the organization or, you know, have moved on. So we are in pretty good shape. All right, one more question is uh, kind of follow up. Uh, what would be the typical employment rate for professional musicians in this general industry relative to 
the number of job applications that mm -hmm. the orchestra tends to receive. Mm -hmm. So we, as, as one of the top orchestras in the country, receive hundreds of applications for each open position in the orchestra. And um, so it is a very competitive audition process. Um, so given that the hundreds of uh, applications we receive lead to you know, um, a first selection process and then a first round of auditions, um, it is a very desirable job uh, to play in a fantastic world-class orchestra like, like ours. You know? so, um, and it's very difficult to um, get orchestra um, employment in one of the top orchestras in the United States in general because um, we don't have a lot of turnover. A lot of musicians stay for many, many years, um, if not a lifetime. So uh, then you can see the competition is extremely high. So each of the musicians who finally succeeded or who are here uh, have been through an extremely tough audition process. So winning an audition at the Pittsburgh Symphony or a orchestra of the same statue is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. No? So, I mean, while we cannot concretely answer your question, how many hundreds, but these are hundreds of applicants, and, uh, and all these applicants, maybe different from other sectors, are extremely good at what they're doing. Yeah? So, um, everybody you see here behind you on this wall, representing other orchestras, is a world-class player. And um, so we're very proud of that, and it's a very difficult to get a job. All right, well, that will really conclude all of our questions. We'd yeah. like to thank you for having this chance to actually sit down for an interview with us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, right? And uh, enjoy your day at the PSO. We're very proud to have you here. It's no secret that today's arts programs are widely underfunded. The problem isn't a shortage of interested students, it's a shortage of audience members and supporters. Not enough people attend school concerts, which leads school officials to deem that there is not enough interest to continue funding. Deciding that other programs are more in need of funding, arts programs are made smaller or even cut completely. This isn't just some class being cut. Some students depend on arts programs like athletes depend on sports. It may not be a core class, but that doesn't make it any less important. The Broadway musical Hamilton wasn't produced and acted out by people who had no opportunities to take arts classes. People enjoy music and performing arts, but they aren't willing to support students who will go on to be the next music producers. Musicals such as Hamilton are what inspire students to study the arts. They unite people of all ethnicities, ages, and interests. They connect and bring attention to issues of today. They inspire the next generation of performers. They incorporate every aspect of the art spectrum, dancing, singing, writing, orchestra, and acting. But this is only possible because of funded arts programs. These opportunities aren't wasted. Often, successful musicals give back to the community through benefit concerts, outreach programs, and education programs. To help motivate inner city students to do well in school, the show's creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, reached out to schools in New York. After following a brief education program during which students learned the story behind Broadway's most beloved founding father, they were invited to see the musical for only $10. Bear in mind that at the time of this recording, tickets to the next available New York show were priced at $500, the only open seats being in November of next year. The messages and themes are inspirational and motivating to any type of goal. 
The story of a poor orphan who grew up to serve as Washington's personal secretary, shape the foundations of the post-revolutionary war government, and take charge as America's first treasury secretary is enough to stir hope in anyone who listens to the musical soundtrack. If you really love the arts, there's a very simple way to show your support. Become an active audience. When interest is expressed, people will take notice. If people see that something is popular, they'll want to check it out too. Each attendance is like a vote. When you become an audience member, you are voting to keep the arts alive. Most events are free, such as school concerts, live performances, and Shakespeare in the Park. All support is needed. So ask yourself, do you really want to put an end to arts programs? How would you feel if the music you enjoy listening to and the performances you love watching stop being made? Who's going to make them if you cut the programs that educate the students who will go on to produce these? How did you first hear about Hamilton? I first heard about Hamilton through my friends. They all listened to it, so I figured I'd listen to it. What life messages do you take away from this musical? Um, I think it's really empowering listening to it. How somebody started at the very bottom and took his life to the extreme of becoming a very important part of our country. Good evening, I'm Tori. I'm Emily. And I'm Liz. We are participants in Audience of the Future, a program where we work with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra in getting kids into what they do. We are from Knock, and we will be asking Emily some questions about the role of music in her life. Okay, so Emily, what sparked your interest in classical music? I remember um, when I was really little, my mom actually had a bunch of classical music CDs. Um, she was just always, it was something she was always into, it was always like a part of her life. Um, she really loved like Sanson, Tchaikovsky, Brahms, some of her favorites. And when I was really little, we'd be driving in the car and she'd put in uh, the, Lond I think it was the London Symphonies recording of like a bunch of Sanson music. They did like a really special concert. And my favorite song on that CD was Dance Macabre. And she would blast it in the car. And she'd be sort of like conducting it with me. It was, oh, it was, it was so fun. And um, that's what really initially got me like emotionally and artistically invested in classical music was that exposure. So upon beginning on Into the Future, what kind of surprised you most about this experience? How hands-on it is. Like, it was so cool to be able to work to actually create, like, just like, a, like a physical concert. It was, I don't know, it's just, it's a really unique experience and just how hands-on it is and how creative you get to be in working with the orchestra and the team at Heinz Hall that I didn't expect it to be this immersive, which is so cool. Okay. Um... So from your perspective as a participant in an orchestra-based program, why music? Oh my gosh, okay, why music? Um, you can kind of interpret that in your own way. Okay, yeah. Um, I think music is just, it's an emotional, intellectual, and just artistic outlet. It just it brings people together. It's a way of like communicating that I think everyone 
is able to relate to and interpret in their own way, which is really unique, having something we all are connected to that is also unique to everyone uh, individually. So it really brings, it really brings people together in it. Um, I feel like sometimes yeah. music helps people create a mutual understanding too as yeah. to what they're doing and it calms them down. Yeah, it, I think it fosters empathy and understanding and, and just connections between people, you know, just connections to the music, connections to the orchestra experience. To and the background of the music? Exactly, it's, yeah, it's to the background of the music, to the composers and the, sto- and the stories behind it, you know, and um, I think that's just really powerful and there's not a lot of other mediums that um, foster that kind of connection and overcoming uh, barriers between people. I love it. Okay, um, thank you so much for our, our time together. I'm sorry I could ask you more questions, but we have run out of time, so. Yes, so I would like to thank you guys for participating with us, and we hope that you learned more about us and what we do here, so thank you. It has come time for your school to pick a musical. Rumors are spreading like wildfire. Things like Seussical, Honk, and Mary Poppins are possibilities. Because of your administration's restrictions on content, you could not do popular shows like South Pacific, Sondheim's Assassins, or even Les Miserables. These, however, are the more popular shows. What is your name? My name is Kaylee. Uh, what school do you go to? I go to Pontiac area. I'm in 11th grade. Are you involved in the school music department? Yes, I am. I am vice president of the drama club at Carnegie Area Senior High. This spring, we're doing Sasquatch the Musical, which is an original musical written by Grove City, Grove City High School, and we are the first people to produce the marketed show. Um, how many people do you think are involved in the musical? Uh, probably a solid 30. Is that just cast, or is that cast? That's crew? just cast. Do you know how many are in crew? Five or six. Okay. How many lead roles are in your musical? There are only about five or six lead roles. There are a lot of ensemble roles. How many people do you think auditioned for a part and didn't get it one or got cut? Probably a solid 10 or 15 people didn't get cast. How many people do you think will come to see your show? Or what do you think ticket sales will be like? I think ticket sales will be about where they normally are and maybe even a little bit higher since we're doing a new show that hasn't been done before. And what are, what are ticket sales normally like? Ticket sales are normally not quite a full house, but pretty packed. Do you think your school will benefit from the musical? I think our school will benefit from seeing something new, and we haven't done a musical in a while. We've done a lot of plays the past couple of years, so I think it will benefit us in the way that we'll get to experience what it's like to be in a musical versus a play. Do you think your school would benefit more from a controversial play or musical, and why? I don't think our school would benefit more from a controversial musical, only because we just got our own budget, and if we did something controversial, they might take it away. So I think it's better that we stay on the safe side for now. Thank you. Yep.
Many schools do not have the permission of their administration to do larger shows or more controversial shows. At Shaler Area High School, their musical is Les Miserables. Now, most schools would not be able to do this show due to the content matter, such as death and prostitution. My name is Elisa. I am in ninth grade, and I go to Shayla Area High School. Are you involved in your school's music department? Yes. I am in the musical, and I am also in band. What musical is your school performing? We are performing Les Mis. I am in cast. There are approximately 40 people in crew, 40 in pit, and 80 people in cast. I would say that there is like eight, approximately eight to ten lead roles. How many people do you think auditioned for a part and didn't get one? There were probably over a hundred people that auditioned and they only cast 80, so about 20. How many people do you think will come to see your musical? Um, well, they have started ticket sales already, and it is almost near to being sold out in terms of reserve tickets. So they're um, estimating that at least some of the shows will sell out, if very close, if not very close. Do you think your school will benefit from the musical? I think our school will benefit from the musical because this is such a popular production that a lot of people are really inclined to go see because um, a lot of schools don't usually do it and it's more of a controversial musical so ticket sales will probably increase giving the, us more um, money for next year and future productions. Can you tell us about Shaler's self-sustaining self-sustaining musical department? So um, the musical department, um, as each show goes, as each show goes, um, the sales that come in for that musical will be um, the money that we have next year for the future musicals. So if we sell out or we do really well in this musical, then we'll have more money to put on another great production for next year. Whereas like if we don't sell out very much or we don't sell as many tickets as we would hope, we might not have enough funding to do a bigger musical for next year. Thank you. More controversial shows are better for the music departments. The students learn more because life is not as pretty as many fun, family-friendly shows depict. In shows like Les Mis and Rent, they try to represent life as it is. Many child-friendly shows do not have the capacity to fit an average high school cast, which is very large. For those who are going into the business, more challenging musicals will benefit them and their resume. In conclusion, more controversial shows will be better for the school depending on the district. Should we say that schools should not be able to do them, and schools should? That does depend on the administration, but there is also a greater amount of people who would like to do those shows because, as earlier stated, they are the more popular shows. Today, we'll be discussing the issue at hand. Is live music dying? In 2014 to 2015, the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra faced a dip in their sales, dropping from 61% of the hall's capacity to 50% in attendance. Why is this? Why is live music becoming more unpopular? 
We asked Greg Steele, band director at Baldwin High School, what he thought about the topic. So, Mr. Steele, why do you think that live performances are dying? Uh, a couple reasons come to mind. I think, in general, our society is a little more um, self-focused and uh, um, it's kind of an instant gratification society. So, to an extent, I think people are just more inclined to, you know, if I could sit at home and listen to a live recording on YouTube versus going to the trouble of paying money and dressing a certain way and going somewhere um, where I have to worry about parking and all of that sort of thing in order to hear live music, I think most people today are more inclined to take the easier route. I think also, um, specific to classical music, uh, we just need to, we as musicians need to do an even better job than we're doing trying to reach out to people. Um, we're really fortunate to have this audience of the future program here that I think is on the right track, but just continuing to make efforts to um, make people aware. And for me as a music teacher, do a better job of making um, people aware of to building an appreciation of classical music to the point that it would inspire people to go seek it out. So do you believe that in the future there will be no live performances due to our advances in technology? I would like to think that there always will be live performances. Uh, I, think a lo I think love of music is something that's inherent to all humans, and so I think that there will always be some drive among at least a portion of the population to make live music and enjoy live music. Um, I think that maybe technology might change the way live music looks, but I think that there will always be live performances of music. Okay, so what is your overall thought on live streaming? Do you feel that live streaming has made live performances die down in a sense? I'm sure that it has to some degree. Um, I, I think live streaming can be a, both a blessing and a curse to classical music. Um, I think it undoubtedly draws some people away. Like I, I mentioned earlier, I think People often take the easiest route, and it's in many ways easier to stay home and watch from the comfort of your couch um, rather than going out and viewing a performance. Um, with that said, I think that um, the world of music can potentially utilize live streaming to their advantage to draw people in, like use it as a, a gateway or an entry point to start to build appreciation that maybe someday will drive people to go out of their way to see a live performance. Thank you. Live music is more important than most may think. Yes, streamed music is convenient, but it causes loss of money in the music performance industry and creates high rates of unemployment. Music is greatly important to students in their growth, especially live music. Music improves a student's self-discipline, dexterity, coordination, self-esteem, thinking skills, listening skills, creative abilities, and personal expression. Live music is an overall more memorable experience that will last a lifetime. It creates more a personal experience and connections for listeners. So here's what we can do about this. If we make a change, the effects will show. Promote your local live musicians and go see a concert. Get the experience of going to see live music. The change starts with you. Kyle, did you know that there are schools that are losing their music departments? Ah, really? I don't know what my life would be without music. If 
think I would really miss the band room. I know what you mean. I would really miss making music throughout the day. So how would your life be different without music? I think it would be a lot more boring because music's what makes interest in everyone's lives. What do you think we could do to decrease the loss of music in our schools? I think we could remind the school board on how important music is to us students. What do you believe the benefits of having music in our schools is? Well, obviously it helps with concentration and with focus. And how do you think the school board's going to be able to handle the budget issue with the music department? I think they'll find a way if they find it's an important meeting. Alright. Well, what are we going to do? We can't lose our music in our schools. How am I going to jam out on my flute? Kyle, calm down. We have a good school board, and that will help us to keep music in our schools. But I do not know how we could help the other schools in the, our area. We do have a school, but maybe we could write them letters to thank them sometime. That's a good idea, Kyle. Maybe we could get the whole music department to write them thank you letters. I agree. It is hard to ignore hundreds of letters. I think they would really appreciate the gesture. Hopefully the board will never cut the music department since there are so many helpful benefits from the music. Oh yes, I completely agree. Science has even proven that being able to read music can help improve concentration and focus in other subjects. I know that a lot of students at the school would not go as often if the music program was cut. Overall, the students' performance would drop in other classes as well. I know I would not be able to make it through the school day without music. I would probably have more homework at night for classes that I do not even enjoy. That's exactly why we should remind the school board on how important music is to us as the students. Hello, my name is Holly. And I'm Kaylee. And I'm Tess. What do you think of when somebody says that their music taste is classical? Most would probably assume the stereotypical 60s, 70s, or 80s bands like Queen, Pink Floyd, ACDC, or The Beatles. How often would you expect somebody to respond to Beethoven? It's sad but true. Classical music has become, by definition, less classical, meaning that it's not surviving as well as it had once before. In this age of fast-paced pop music and sappy love songs, Mozart is rolling over in his grave. Listening to classical music has been scientifically proven to benefit the brain. Listening to Mozart creates what some doctors have called the Mozart effect, which supposedly makes a person smarter. This caused a big trend in buying Mozart CDs for babies to listen to in the 90s. While it technically won't turn a baby into a genius, there's no denying that it warms up the abstract thought. Some British railway stations started playing movements from Bach, Handel, and Mozart as a form of crime deterrent, and it actually worked. Crime rates dropped by a third, spitting and smoking decreased, and overall mood in these train stations started to improve. So, it's proven that this stuff helps your brain. Then why aren't more people listening? Well, the answer is simple. With hundreds of new pop and rock and alternative songs being released every day, classical music seems boring in comparison. It has this reputation of being old people music, and while it may be a tragedy that something as beautiful as Mozart's clarinet concerto is being reduced to old people music, even I, an avid classical listener and performer, will admit to preferring John Bellion and Panic at the Disco over most Vivaldi movements. So what can we do to change that? Well, first of all, let's get rid of those godforsaken dubstep versions of classical music. Yeah, they might sound catchy to the average teenager, but anyone who has performed classical music cringes on a colossal note with every measure. I understand that it brings classical music into a more modern light, but on the other hand, it also sort of takes away from what it's supposed to be. Some things to bring back classical music include more advertisement for symphonic performances, more emphasis on school and college bands, 
bringing back music history classes, explaining the psychological benefits classical music produces, or discussing and interpreting classical pieces to make people feel more personally connected to them. Today we will be interviewing our friend Amanda. She plays cello and is here to give us an inside view of classical music from a teenager's perspective. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be working with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. So how were you first introduced to classical music? Uh, I was introduced to classical music through the orchestra program at my school. Every second grader has the chance to go get fit with an orchestra instrument, and I decided to go with the cello even though it was a little bigger than me. <laughs> do you enjoy listening to classical music outside of orchestra? Yeah, I really do. Um, I listen to, I perform it with the orchestra almost every day in orchestra class, and I use it to help me study. How often would you say you listen to it? A lot, decent amount, because I do listen to it every day in orchestra, and then I study with it at least four or five times a week. In conclusion, how would you say classical music benefits you, your educational experience, and your life overall? I don't think I could picture my life without music, especially classical at this point, because it's been such an integral part of my life since I was second grade. And I'm really thankful that it was introduced to me at a young age, because if it was introduced to me, say, when I was in ninth grade, as opposed to when I was in second, I'm not sure I would have taken to it quite as much. Thank you for talking to us today, Amanda. Amanda, unlike most teenagers today, grew up listening to and playing classical music and has developed an appreciation for it. Clearly, the key to revitalizing classical music in the modern world lies in giving kids an opportunity to personally connect to a type of music that seems foreign and boring to them. No two classical music pieces are the same. If you know your music, you can hear who the composer of the piece is, even if you've never heard the piece before. Each composer adds a bit of a signature phrase in their music to sort of mark it as theirs. Music history being taught in schools would make these little tricks a lot easier to identify and actually make classical music more interesting to listen to. Part of the appeal and relatability of modern music is being able to recognize and connect with the singer or songwriter or to memorize all the lyrics and be able to sing along. Teaching kids music history allows them to connect with seemingly unrelatable old composers and makes that music much more interesting. I think it's safe to say that classical music is definitely something worth revitalizing and keeping alive for everyone to enjoy. I couldn't agree more, Holly. To all of you out there listening, give classical music a chance. Listen to some Beethoven, Mozart, or even some Handel, and share your discoveries with your friends. Be part of the generation that makes classical music classic again. My name's Holly. And I'm Kaylee. And I'm Tess. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's all for this episode of the Hear Me Podcast. To learn more about the audience of the future program, you can contact the Education Department of the Pittsburgh Symphony at 412-392-4841. If you're interested in learning more about Hear Me's podcasting workshops, you can find the Hear Me Project on Twitter or email us at info at hear-me.net. If you're not subscribed to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, 
please subscribe now. And as always, thank you for listening.